Good morning. Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to wrap up the book of Jonah with you today. We're in Jonah chapter 4, so take a moment and turn there. Has God's mercy ever made you angry? Has God's mercy ever made you angry? Probably not when you were the one getting the mercy. If you have been angry, it's probably when that mercy went to somebody who hurt you or hurt somebody that you really love. When God gives mercy to offensive people, God can seem offensive. This is where the prophet Jonah finds himself as the book of Jonah ends today. His people Israel, well they've been oppressed by a nation called Assyria. And so God at the beginning of Jonah told Jonah to march into the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh, and warn them. We found out later that the warning was, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. And after Jonah finally did that, Nineveh actually stopped their evil. They believed God, Jonah chapter 3 says. And then, God has mercy on Nineveh. And today we're going to see Jonah's response to God. And then we're going to consider our response. Here's the big idea today. God's mercy is not for us to judge or withhold. God's mercy is not for us to judge or withhold. So let me read Jonah chapter 4, and I'll just start with the first three verses Take a little while to set the table as we consider our lives under this merciful God. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live." First thing we learn about being under a merciful God is that an angry heart remains merciless. An angry heart remains merciless. Who's angry here? Jonah. And there's two clues as to why. Both of them were given at the end of chapter 3 last week. Number one, Nineveh repented. That is, they turned from evil. And number two, God relented. That is, he turned from judgment 
and he gave them mercy instead. Now, where Jonah is in that timeline, right here in the start of chapter 4, is actually a little unclear. So we know Nineveh repented and God relented at the end of chapter 3 because the book tells us. Jonah didn't have Jonah. It's a plot summary. It wraps up Nineveh's story. It takes them out of the picture and it moves Jonah back into the picture. The question for us is where is he at in the picture now? Because here in chapter 4 we just see Jonah angry. Does Jonah already know that God has relented? I I don't think we can actually be sure of that yet. Jonah's message in chapter 3 was, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I think here at the start of chapter 4, it's likely that right now, we're near the end of those 40 days. Okay? Okay. Dan, you say that you might say, Dan, that's that's a nice, cute detail. Why is Jonah angry? Well, I while I don't think he's seen God relent yet, he's actually going to see that later. And trust me, he's going to be even more angry about that. There is something that he has definitely seen, and he would definitely be angry about. Nineveh has repented. Maybe you're a little confused. Why would that make Jonah angry? I mean, isn't total repentance the kind of thing that every pastor would want in a sermon? Or if one of you just went down to campus and you went through campus preaching and everybody repented, wouldn't you be kind of happy? doesn't make sense. Well, it would make sense, but there's a problem. Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to repent. Jonah wants Nineveh to burn. Peter gave us a good reason why last week. Do you remember what he said about Nineveh? Nineveh was not a peaceful town of farmers. They were terrorists. They had zero mercy for the people that they destroyed. And now they just cry out for a few weeks and their king hopes aloud, maybe God will spare us. I mean, if ISIS got on TV and they issued a tearful apology, would you buy it? I probably wouldn't. Let's see some fruit in keeping with that repentance. It's going to take more than a couple weeks to convince me. How about you? Jonah is angry. Who's the anger aimed at? I mean, we already know he's mad at, he, we already know he's mad at Nineveh. That's clear. But here, he vents that anger up to God. 
Look at verse 2. This is a prayer. Jonah says this. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. See, we see in Jonah's prayer something that has seemed possible the whole way through. But now Jonah admits it. Jonah's not just angry at God now. He's been angry. He was mad before Jonah even started. This recolors the whole story. I mean, anger motivated him in chapter 1 to run from God's orders in the first place and go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. And anger drove him to then pursue suicide in the storm rather than turn back. Anger colored his prayers from inside the fish. And when he did finally obey, he goes to Nineveh and he proclaims judgment. They didn't just apologize. They actually believed God. And God made it possible through Jonah. Jonah is mad. He is judging God's mercy. And this is the judgment. Thumbs down. This isn't just judgment on God's mercy. This is a judgment on God. I mean, we see this in verse 2 right in the prayer. Because Jonah, in what he just said, is actually quoting God himself from the book of Exodus. Chapter 34, verse 6, I'll read it. It happens during the birth of Israel. When God reveals his face for the first time to Jonah's people. Jonah's not even born yet. And he's explaining who he is to the leader at the time, a guy named Moses. And God says this to Israel's leader. The Lord... A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And do you know what Moses' response was in Exodus? Here, I'll show you. He got down at once, and he worshipped. Like that. Now, what did Jonah do? Thumbs down. He did the exact opposite. Jonah is actually saying here, I cannot understate this. He's saying, God, you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love. And that's why I ran away from you. Jonah is blaming God's character for his disobedience. And so Jonah, in all of this, he is showing that he doesn't just have a merciless heart. 
He has had one. And it's getting worse. That sounds like a harsh word. But Jonah said it himself. There should be no room at God's table for people like them. They should burn. Even though they repented. Jonah did not believe him. And he didn't believe God. Jonah withholds mercy. Now, admittedly, Jonah has had a bad week. Right? He's under stress. And God's mercy to Nineveh is unprecedented. This doesn't normally happen. So is Jonah at least a little justified? I don't think we should talk like that. Because the second we start doing that, we miss the point. The point is, God has mercy. Jonah says, no. That's the point. That is what has happened here. Mercy like that should be withheld from people like them. And it all finally boils over in verse 3 when Jonah prays this to God. Therefore, in other words, because you are merciful and slow to anger, because of who you are, O Lord, take my life. Jonah still wants to die. In fact, it's as though he's saying, God, you know what? Since I can't seem to kill myself, and believe me, I've tried. And since you can't seem to find it in your heart to kill Nineveh, would you at least kill me? Friends, Jonah would rather die then live in a world with such a merciful God. And if you live long enough, I promise you, you will meet people like this. Somebody who has been maybe at one point close to God, or who seemed close to God, Maybe even somebody in a significant role like Jonah. But a hard enough push reveals an angry, judgmental, mercy withholding heart. It comes out. And maybe a person has really hurt them. I don't want to oversimplify it. Maybe even a whole people group hurt their people group. Have you met people like that? I have. It's me. Let me tell you about me. 
See, I grew up going to public school. And I was a minority the entire way through. And by the time middle school rolled around, I was regularly assaulted. Verbally. Physically. But I had one safe haven. Youth group. At my church. Until. A young man. Who fit every profile. Of the bullies in my life. Started coming. And I hated him. I didn't want him to be saved. I wanted him gone. There was no room for him at my table. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant God's table. It's easy to get those two confused, isn't it? How about you? Was that ever you? Maybe it wasn't people. Maybe it was a person. What if that's you now? What if your little push is coming? What hope is there for an angry heart like that? We're going to get to us. For now, let's see what God does with Jonah's angry heart. I'm going to read verses 4 through 11. And the Lord God said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went outside of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant. And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That Great city, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand persons 
who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So the second thing we learn is that in response to angry, merciless hearts, a loving God remains merciful. God's answer to Jonah's growing anger is more mercy. Look at what God does in verse 4. He asks a very simple, amazing question. Do you do well to be angry? He just holds up the mirror. Look at your face, Jonah. How's it going (laughs) with that mercy? (laughs) Is your anger helping? Now, I might suggest you not automatically lead with that line the next time you or your spouse or your roommate have a fight. I wouldn't start with that one automatically. But God is free to do this. I mean, he's been watching over and guiding Jonah every step of the way. He knows every moment of Jonah's life. He knows Jonah's been angry. And so what God is doing here is he's starting to draw Jonah out, helping him see, Jonah, where will your angry heart take you? Jonah doesn't respond. And in verse 5, he simply leaves the city like this. And he finds some shade. Maybe if they had him, he would grab a folding chair. And he just pops it open like that. Sits down. And just looks out over the city. Perhaps with 3D glasses. Bucket of popcorn. Waiting for the bomb to drop. That's what Jonah's doing. He's hoping, maybe, maybe God will destroy him yet. I mean, that's what I preached. That's what he told me. But nothing happens. Day 40. 41, maybe. Maybe 42. Nothing. Instead... Of death, we actually get life for Jonah. Verse 6, God appoints a plant to grow up over him and give him relief. To allow him to be mad longer without dying. That's what's happening. I think God here is really allowing Jonah to think through the question. Are you doing well? How about now? Where is your angry heart going to take you? He's giving Jonah time and relief to think. Does it work? Jonah does not seem to make any moves toward God. I mean, he does show gladness, but it's for the relief of the plant. Mercy for him. But God keeps moving toward Jonah. And then 
God does something. He does a move in verses 7 through 8 that actually seems unmerciful. I think at first he sends a worm. He sends a worm to destroy the plant. To destroy the relief and a scorching wind and the sun and it beats down and Jonah withers. And again, he desires to die. And God's response is to repeat the original question, but he bends it a little bit in verse 8. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah says, Yes, I do well. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God doesn't really, there's no evidence he lets any more time pass, but he immediately, it seems, gives a final teaching. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, And perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons. Who don't know their right hand from their left. And also much cattle. What's happened here? Well the Lord has pulled out all the stops. And he has mercifully pursued a merciless person. Though Jonah had judged God's mercy and withheld it from Nineveh, God has not withheld mercy from Jonah. And sometimes the mercy looked like relief. Sometimes it looked like pain. Is all of it merciful? I think so. God simply doesn't want Jonah to die without knowing the hard truth about himself. And it's like God is summing up that hard truth in this way. Jonah, that plant dead down there that you loved and you lost. I made that. It's mine. I made the worm. And I made the worm eat the plant. And those people in Nineveh, they're mine too. I made them. All 120,000 of them. You have pity for something beneath you, Jonah. What is not beneath me? I will have mercy on who I choose. You can't judge that. You can't withhold it. Because mercy is not yours. It's mine. And with that, the book of Jonah ends. The last word is cattle. (laughs) I wonder there's not a movie of that yet. (laughs) It's a bit awkward. I mean... There's no wonder, I think, that so many kids' books just kind of ignore this chapter. Yay, Nineveh repented. Let's eat Lunchables. You know. <laughs> it's really awkward. Why does it end like this? I think God is breaking the fourth wall 
and asking the reader the same question that he asked Jonah. What about your heart? What about your heart? Who are you to withhold or judge God's mercy? The book confronts us with the truth. God is free to lavish His mercy on anyone, even the wrong kind of people, Nineveh and Jonah. Why can God lavish mercy? Because it's His. The end. And so we are not to judge that, and we are not to withhold that but to lavish it on whoever God chooses. And maybe it'll start by looking like a harsh word of judgment, like Jonah gave. But if it ends in repentance, who are we to judge that? So how did the original audience respond to this? We don't know how Jonah responded. And that's kind of scary. Nineveh, who was not the direct audience, and Assyria, their response was, they seemed to cling to God's mercy for a while, but they too eventually just fully flat out rejected God no matter what. And that's covered in a book called Nahum, and we're going to start that next week. Israel fared better, but not way better. Because many of them just ended up rejecting God Or trying to worship multiple gods. And Israel just kind of imploded. Other nations like Assyria. Like them. Just came in and finished the job. Almost. And by the time Jesus came. Once proud Israel. Is just tucked away. In a little corner. Of a place called Rome. But. Many Jews. We're expecting God to send somebody to judge Rome. And save the good guys. So when Jesus then came along and started talking about mercy and not judgment, many Jews got offended. They rejected Jesus. But Jesus didn't change God's plan. He extended mercy to places like Rome and other nations. And he did it through his merciful death. But even then, What I love about our merciful God is he did not let Israel die. Some of them, the Bible calls it a remnant, believed. They believed God through Jesus. And hundreds of years later, God still is teaching his people about Mercy. He still is today. Now how does that apply to us? Well for my final point. I too. 
will break the fourth wall and I will ask you, what about your heart? Do you judge or do you withhold God's mercy? Now maybe, maybe some of you freely offer God's mercy to everyone who will listen. And maybe some people who won't. Maybe you do that. That's great. But maybe others of you here remember a bully or an abuser or maybe a people group who has really hurt you. And I do not want to downplay the word hurt. But, like I once did, maybe you prefer that they would suffer in hell rather than sit at God's table. Maybe this is you. And you're just watching and you're waiting for the bomb to drop on them. And if that's you, I want to be fair. What God's word is not asking here is for you to pretend that they never sinned. Or for you to just automatically restore the relationship with zero consequences. That's not what this is saying. But here's what it is saying. What God's word says, though, is a new reality for you if you believe in Jesus. And here's the new reality. It's a little verse that you might have heard of. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That means that our marching orders, when we go to the nations and our neighbors, under God, we are to take that kind of mercy and we are not to judge it and we're not to withhold it, but freely offer it. To whosoever. Lavish mercy on all people. Not just the ones that look like us. Or sound like us. Or who are nice to us. And I'm going to add this. Because it's tricky. Failing to lavish mercy. Or withholding mercy. It doesn't always look like Jonah. You might not look angry, but you might still be withholding. Maybe you're slow on purpose to share the gospel, or you're quick to make excuses to not share the gospel. Or you know what? You just see that scandalous celebrity get on TV and says, I'm a Christian now. And you're like, 
Yeah, we'll see. So how can you tell if this is you? Maybe you start simple and you ask yourself this question. Do I have a list of the wrong kind of people? And you just make the list. And if that person's sitting next to you now, maybe wait till you get home. <laughs> this might be a person. Awkwardly enough, this might be a whole people group. Whatever it is, whoever it is, they're the kind of people that you look at them and you don't say whosoever, you say, eh, I don't know. I don't think so. You know what? Let, let me go first. Here's what happened when I got out of high school and the bullying stopped. Because by college, I kind of settled down from that whole PTSD experience of high school. And I connected with some Christians and God did some really good work in my heart. I knew my own sin more deeply and Jesus more fully. Though I was raised in church. And now I am ready and I am willing to go into the dorms and start Bible studies. Just go up to whosoever. Or so I thought. Because when I would walk through the dorms, I would be looking for open doors. You can ask Peter, he was with me a few times. And you know what? Some of those doors had loud music coming out of them and objectionable posters on the walls and some bullying types. And you know what I was tempted to do? Keep on walking. You know, we're just about out of time. It's about nine. I got something in the morning. Right past him. Withholding. That's what was happening. Withholding. I was doing this. Just wait for the bomb to drop on that guy. Who cares? I'm good. That's what we do. But God kept patiently teaching me mercy for them, Dan, whosoever. Praise God, I went in some of those doors. Gospel was shared. Now, I can still struggle, but praise God these days, I don't mind so much being around the wrong kinds of people. And do you know what helps? Remembering I'm the wrong kind of people. How about you? I mean, when, when we're tempted to think of them, 
whoever they are, as the wrong kind of people, the best thing you can do is look in a mirror. Maybe one with a nice plant over top of it. (laughs) Who are we? Who am I? I'm simply a person who is God's friend because of God's mercy. The end. And you go with that energy. Knowing and remembering that, for example, really helped me when my family was in North Africa. Because you know it was in a lot of North Africa? Them. People that even when I came back, I were talking, I was talking to certain people and they said, you went to them? They went to church. They were offended. Some of them stopped praying for me. But when I was over there, it was funny when I met them, there were a lot of Muslims that I met and they looked proud until sin was exposed. Then they'd get angry. And you know what really made them angry? The cross of Jesus Christ. Your God would die? No, no, no. Our God destroys. But you know what? Some people really loved it. And you know who they were? Whosoever. That was them. My God helped some of them know that they were done for unless mercy intervened. So friends, over there, and yes, here in America too, knowing my great sin and God's great mercy has actually made me the strongest person in the room. Little five foot something Dan who used to get beat up in high school. And if God can patiently do that for me, what about you? One final application for anybody here who maybe isn't quite sure if this God is worth following. Maybe it's because you feel like you are too far away from God's mercy. I will encourage you with this. God's mercy can be yours because it is not yours to earn. It is his to give. And through Jesus, it is yours. The end. Friends, you might love it or it might make you angry, but we are all under a merciful God. Sometimes this mercy comforts, sometimes it provokes, and sometimes it downright hurts. But it is for good, because God is good. His mercy is not ours to judge or 
withhold. And so may we offer it freely, not judging it, not withholding it, but offering it freely, especially to the wrong kinds of people, because we know that we were never the right kinds of people. Let's pray. Dear God, you are good. And this plan of mercy you have rolled out, it confounds. It confounds even people who are appointed by you and near to you. And it is offensive. Mercy is so offensive. And the highest offense of mercy was when Jesus mercifully died so that we could extend mercy to all people. Lord, may we humbly examine ourselves. May we examine you and find you glorious. Amen.